Hey there. This is the spoken edition of Slate. There is no such thing as the Bible. The messy scripture on display at the Museum of the Bible. By William Salatin. This audio version was created exclusively for Slate Plus members. Last week, the Museum of the Bible opened in Washington, D.C. When the museum was first conceived, it was intended to inspire confidence in the absolute authority and reliability of the Bible, according to documents filed in 2010. But then scholarship and dialogue intervened. The original vision of Steve Green, the president of Hobby Lobby and an outspoken conservative evangelical, gave ground to the reality that the Bible, a single, clear, definitive text, is a myth. There is no such thing as the Bible. David Trobish, the museum's director of collections, said matter-of-factly last week as he sat next to Green at a press lunch organized by the Faith Angel Forum. With Trobish and other scholars guiding the process, Museum of the Bible became a real museum, exploring the messy history and shifting contents of the Judeo-Christian canon. Green's reputation as a conservative crusader has aroused skepticism of the museum. Critics portray the 430,000-square-foot building just a few blocks from the Capitol as a propaganda showcase. But what I found was a surprising degree of frankness, even agnosticism. If you want the cartoon Bible, eternal and infallible, you can find it in quotes from Scripture on purple banners along the walls. Every word of God is pure, says one. The law of the Lord is perfect, says another. The word of our God stands forever, says a third. But start poking around in the exhibits and things get interesting. Many Bible stories you soon learn aren't original. The flood, for instance, echoes Babylonian tales. In each version, a growing population upsets a god. A plaque explains dryly. A single hero listens to the supreme being, builds a boat before a catastrophic flood, and then sends out birds. Next, you discover that the holy book is full of spin. One placard describes how texts of the ancient Assyrians celebrated their conquests of Judean cities. Jewish and Christian Bibles describing the same events emphasize how God miraculously preserved Jerusalem. Cyrus, the Persian king, saw himself as an instrument of Babylon's deity. But writers of the Hebrew Bible, concerned with a different question, is it good for the Jews, portray Cyrus as an agent of Israel's God. After every battle, Arameans and Moabites told the same story the Israelites did. Either their God led them to victory, or he punished them with defeat. When Trobish says there's no such thing as the Bible, He's alluding in part to the seven versions displayed along a wall on the museum's fourth floor. Hebrew, Samaritan, Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, and Assyrian. Each has its own selection of text, a sign on the wall observes, yet each one is a Bible. In display cases, you can read about the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, and other texts that haven't made the cut, but don't count them out. Such apocrypha, another note explains, have been appended to various Bibles, on and off, for centuries. The more closely you look at the history of Scripture, the more you see how fluid it is. In the New Testament, the gradual canonization of text is obvious. In time, writings widely associated with the Apostles' teaching came to be regarded as Scripture, says one display. But you also learn how Jews layered text over the Torah, adding narrative speculations and expanding the Scriptures through the Middle Ages. Interpretation is just one avenue of expansion. Archaeology is another. The Dead Sea Scrolls were unearthed only decades ago, and new discoveries are still being made, says one exhibit. Green should know Hobby Lobby recently paid millions of dollars to settle a government complaint that it had smuggled Iraqi artifacts that may have been looted. 
Perhaps for that reason, or perhaps out of scholarly humility, the museum's display of putative Dead Sea Scrolls fragments bears a cautionary note. Are these fragments real? It asks. Research continues. The museum's second-floor collection traces more recent history. It details and laments the persecution of believers. One display bears the title, Martyrs and the Bible, Dying for the Faith. But the faith, like the Bible, turns out to be a myth. Christians have been persecuted largely by other Christians. In Catholic-Protestant clashes, a plaque recalls different versions of the Bible were condemned as unauthorized or heretical and were destroyed, often with their followers. Dissenters fled to America, but each group brought its own version of the Bible, so the conflicts continued. Today, politicians glorify the Bible as the foundation of democracy, freedom, and civil rights. But the Bible was also invoked against such ideas, and the museum doesn't hide this. Throughout history, the Bible has been used as a source of authority for heads of state, says one display. There's a case stocked with old religious tracts that defend the divine right of absolute monarchy. Another exhibit notes that early feminists used scripture to justify equal rights for women, but opposition was scathing, especially among clergymen, who often quoted the Bible to justify women's subservient status. The most striking concession is the museum's account of the debate over slavery. Scripture was crucial to the movements for abolition and civil rights. But the collection also shows how verses such as Ephesians 6.5, Servants be obedient to them that are your masters, as unto Christ. And Genesis 9.25, A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren, were deployed to rationalize human bondage. One case displays an 1808 book titled Parts of the Holy Bible, selected for the use of the Negro slaves. A note explains that the volume features passages about obedience, but omits all entries that express themes of freedom, including the story of Exodus. The museum can't entirely avoid contemporary politics, and it struggles with unresolved debates. Galileo, having won his dispute with religious authorities centuries ago, gets a statue and a vindicating plaque. But Darwin doesn't. The exhibit says only that he sparked a debate between traditional and more progressive interpretations of the Bible. On criminal justice, the museum shows no such reticence. It pushes back against the use of passages about an eye for an eye and putting people to death. The Bible tempers retribution with forgiveness and mercy, says one plaque. Another touts the restorative justice movement and its view that God's compassion takes priority over his wrath. The museum wasn't meant to sow doubt. In our meeting last week, Green and the museum's president, Carrie Summers, made clear that they want to inspire visitors to explore God's word. Green believes that if he can get people to pick up the holy book, it will sell itself. Maybe so, but by yielding to a more scholarly vision of what the museum should be, he's also betting that a candid presentation of the text's backstory, uncertainty, and malleability won't dissolve the idea of the Bible. I admire his faith.